Well, good morning. I have the privilege of uh, introducing you to Tim, and I'm going to ask Tim a couple of questions so you can get to know him before he, he preaches to us. So, so Tim, tell me, uh, why are you a friend of Shabu's? I've asked myself that question many times. Yeah, yeah. I can't work it out. Um, I've just gotten to know Shabu at different things, and he's one of the friendliest guys you'll meet, and it's hard not to be his friend, I think. Yeah, that, yeah. that's uh, probably a good thing. So t- tell me, how do you come to know the Lord, Tim? I'd be interested to know. Yeah, um, uh, so I was 19. I grew up in a Christian family, but I'd sort of rejected any sort of belief in, in Jesus. I don't think I didn't believe in God. I just didn't think it was relevant. I got to uni, and um, I, I came across the Christian group uh, there, the same group that Laura, curiously, works for, uh, but here in Australia. And um, i just come from an all-boys boarding school. There were girls in the group. I thought, this is okay. I started going along, and we were reading through Mark's Gospel, and I discovered Jesus. And I, uh, through reading the gospel, I, I was just captivated by him. And I realized that the reason he died uh, wasn't this m- big miscarriage of justice. Though it was a miscarriage of justice, but it was because God loved me and wanted me to have a relationship with him. Uh, yep. Great. Now, so tell me, um, obviously, you went to that organization to find a wife. Yeah. Yeah. But you found Jesus, which was far more important. Yeah. Yeah. So have you found a wife? I have, yeah. Oh, yeah. Could you yeah. just talk to us about that, your family and what have you? Sure. So my wife's name is Belinda, and she is incredible. And we have uh, three... She have to be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She, yeah she is. And we have three kids, um, three, three, and one. So we started with, with twin boys, and now we've got a little one-year-old girl as wow. well. So we're, wow. we're toilet training at the moment. And um, Outstanding. Yeah. Um, did I shake your hand this morning? You did, yeah. You I, did. I shouldn't have. I think you did, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, it's not going that well, so I appreciate that. That's fantastic. So um, outside, uh, guys here probably don't know that you're, you're planting a church. You're down in uh, Box Hill Way. Yep. Uh, I understand that's going real well. And, and uh, But what other sort of interests do you have outside? Uh... Look, outside... Um pastoring the church and family it's hard to have a lot of interest I'm a big NBA fan so I love American basketball so I'm the season just started I'm excited about that I'm a Portland Trailblazers fan oh is that right yes. okay okay good yeah. uh, who do you, who do you uh, go we'll for? talk later I just follow the Australians really yeah okay, okay. Um, oh look I like computer games I'm still a big kid uh, and, and I, I love my kids so any opportunity to hang out with them is great Fantastic. that's really good I also like coffee a lot okay yeah great you, no wonder you like Shabu yeah. Okay. Well, it's uh, just a real privilege to have you here today, and we're oh, looking so, forward to uh, yeah. you sharing from uh, God's Word. And uh, I'll pray for you, and then we'll get you set up. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we we thank you. We thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. And uh, Father, we thank you for the the testimony of of Laura and what's happening in Slovenia. Mm. And we just uh, also thank you for Tim's personal testimony about he how he came to faith in Christ and. We rejoice with him uh, that he is yours. And Father, this morning as he proclaims your word uh, to us here, help us to be attentive, help us to be moved by your spirit, uh, encouraged, instructed, and we look forward to uh, worshipping in this way. Mm. So we just uh, ask for your hand of blessing upon Tim now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yep, but I'll, I'll sort that out. No, I've got, I've got water, Nathan. I'm all sorted. I'm all set. Um, well, it's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Uh, it's a great privilege for me to come and share from God's Word 
uh, with you. So thank you for having me. And uh, I was wondering if I could ask you to do a favour. We're going to read through uh, Luke chapter 19 together. So if you've got your Bible, could I ask you to turn to it? Uh, I'll read it out loud and you can follow along. And then I'm going to ask you if you could keep it open in front of you. Uh, We're going to read through it a bit slower and talk about some of the things uh, that are in it. So that's Luke chapter 19. If you've got one of these black ones... That is page uh, 878. And we're just going to read the first 10 verses. This is Luke chapter 19. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to, that, to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I'm going to pray for us before we begin. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us your word to guide us and speak to us. And we pray this morning as we explore it together that Jesus might be made known to us, that we might see him as he truly is. Father, pray that you want to be able to concentrate our, our, our ears to listen and our hearts to respond in thankfulness and obedience and faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've, so I've been wondering to myself, uh, on, on the odd occasion, if Jesus were to come and visit us, not, not the, the end of the world second coming, but if Jesus were to just stop in for a holiday, just for a day, uh, what would he do? Uh, what would he do? Uh, where would he go? Who would he visit? Uh, what would he do? I'd like to think he'd come to church. I'd like to think he'd come to church. I wonder whether he'd, uh, he'd come to my church. I wonder he'd come to this church. If he did come to church, I wonder where he'd sit. Right? Would he try and blend in with everyone? I guess we'd probably try and get him up the front, wouldn't we? We'd, we'd like Jesus to come and sort of sit up at the, at the center of attention. Imagine for a moment Jesus came along to church and sat next to you. I imagine that'd be a pretty uncomfortable uh, service, wouldn't it? Uh, no one would be falling asleep uh, during the message. If Jesus was sitting next to you. You know, as a religious leader, I'm a bit nervous about Jesus coming for a visit because Jesus' most scathing criticism is reserved for religious leaders. I wonder what Jesus would think of Melbourne, the world's most livable city. Would he be impressed? Would he be amazed? I mean, it's got to be better than Nazareth, right? Melbourne. I guess we'd take him to our various tourist attractions and, and hope that he'd enjoy them. But I suspect, 
Jesus would see straight through the gloss and pretense to the heart of our city. I suspect Jesus would see straight through the gloss and the pretense of our own hearts, the hearts of those who belong to it. And he would see what God sees. Because when God looks out on our world, on our city, when God looks out on Melbourne, I don't think he sees the world's most livable city. I think he sees a world that is is lost and frightened and afraid and broken and perishing in the darkness. And I can say that with some certainty because of what Jesus says his purpose is in coming to earth. See, at the heart of Jesus' purposes was not the creation of a political party or even to begin a religion. It wasn't so that people could go to church or even be better behaved. But it was to seek and save what was lost. And as we read through this story, which I think is fabulous, this is a great story, the story of Zacchaeus, and we see the interaction between Jesus and the different characters in the story, we will see Jesus' purpose, his mission for our world, his mission to save it. Uh, If you've got your Bible there, I want you to come with me to this story. Uh, From Luke chapter 19, I'm just going to read out verses 1 and 2 again, and I want you to follow along and we'll see what happens. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. All right, just stop there for a moment. Uh, Jericho, uh, in modern, now in modern-day Palestine, it, it's still today. You can go and visit Jericho. It is a thriving metropolis as it was in Jesus' day. It was bustling, full of people, and we're told that Jesus was just passing through. He was just passing through, and there, we're told, lives a man named Zacchaeus and we're only told a few things about him right he's a tax collector that's his job and we're told that he is very rich now these details I think can be lost on us but they're really important okay if you've been hanging around for church uh, for a while you're probably familiar with tax collectors but if you're if you're new to church uh, let, let me kind of explain what a tax collector was if you were a tax collector you were considered to be scum You'd rather be a murderer than a tax collector. Tax collectors were the most hated people in the city. Okay, I've got a friend who works for the ATO, and she is lovely. It's kind of hard for me to get my head around just the way that tax collectors were hated. But to understand it, you have to understand a little bit of history. See, in Jesus' day, Israel were an occupied nation. The Roman Empire, if you've seen Gladiator, basically conquered most of the world. And they conquered Israel. And they were a subjugated people. Let me, let me try and explain what, what that's like. Imagine if a superpower decided to take over Australia, right? Uh, the USA or China decided to invade. Let me tell you what would happen. Uh, the tanks would roll in. There'd be a, a short skirmish, which we'd lose, uh, just so you know. And we'd surrender and then a, a number of things would happen. The first thing would be all of our leaders would all disappear. Now, some of you are thinking that sounds okay. But they'd be replaced with, say, American leaders. And then what would happen, and this is the reason you conquer another nation, it's for plunder. And all of our resources and our wealth and our treasures would be taken back to Washington or Beijing or whoever took us over. That's what would happen. And that's what had happened to Israel. They had been conquered. They were a subjugated people. And it is an awful thing 
to live under the rule of another nation, an occupying force. Uh, there's a historian named uh, Josephus. He's kind of a big, big shot, famous Jewish historian. And he tells a story about the governor of one of the provinces uh, in, in Palestine. Uh, what happened was someone snuck into one of the Jewish uh, uh, citizens, snuck into his tent and stole some bread. And he, he, he got up and he announced, right, you've got 24 hours to bring back the bread or I'm going to unleash hell. 24 hours passed. So he said to his, his guard, his elite guard, right, for the rest of the afternoon, you're going to go out and randomly slaughter people for the rest of the afternoon. That's what it's like to live as a subjugated people, to live with an occupying force ruling you. The problem is that it's hard work plundering the treasures of the people you've conquered. And so what the Romans did is they appointed tax collectors. They appointed tax collectors from the local population. They paid them very well. They turned a blind eye to fleecing a little bit extra off the side for themselves. And you see why they were so hated. If you're a tax collector, you're actually participating in the subjugation of your own people. You're, you're actually helping the oppressors. And you're getting rich while you're doing it. If you were living in Jesus' day and you saw a tax collector walking along the other side of the street, at best, you'd give them a greasy stare. At worst, you'd probably spit in their direction, mutter a threat under your breath. If those Romans weren't looking after you, boy, you better watch your back. And Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector. Did you notice that? He'd hit the big time. This is a guy with not a lot of friends. Although I guess rich people always seem to have friends, don't they? Not a lot of respect, but a lot of money. I've tried to, tried to work out whether we have an equivalent in Australia of, of just an occupation that's universally hated. And the first thing I thought about was perhaps a parking inspector, right? Everyone. But to be honest, I realized you need parking inspectors. You need them. Well, maybe a drug dealer. Right? Drug dealers profit off the exploitation of others. Maybe a people trafficker. I mean, that's what a tax collector was like. This is a man that's meant to make you angry. You're supposed to read this story and go, Jesus passing through Jericho. Oh, yeah, nice place, nice. And there was a chief tax collector there. What? It's just meant to get a bit upset by it. And to top it all off, if that wasn't enough, this chief tax collector was short. Did you notice that? Just, just have a look at the passage with me again. Verses 3 and 4. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. You know, there's something innately funny about short men, isn't there? Something funny about them. Uh, Danny DeVito, Kevin Hart, George Costanza, Shabu, who invited me to come and speak here. Today, also a short man, also very funny. And I kind of think this is funny too. This guy, Zacchaeus, he probably was dressed very well. He was a wealthy guy. And here he is up a tree. It's kind of funny. He's there. He's up on a tree to see Jesus. Now, I don't know what he knew about Jesus. I, 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 guess he's heard, I guess everyone had heard about Jesus at this point. That's why there was a, a great crowd there. And well, he can't see him. And I tell you, nobody's letting Zacchaeus in. Nobody's letting Zacchaeus to the front so he can see Jesus. Now, at this point in Luke's gospel, Jesus has become a celebrity. 
He's been teaching things unlike what anyone had ever heard. He's been doing, reported to do miracles, incredible things. There's a huge throng of people that just follow him wherever he goes. There's something about celebrity, isn't there, that just, it, it changes people, it, it changes the way they act. I heard a disturbing story the other day. There's a, a young lady um, in my congregation, in my church, uh, Sri Lankan background, sweetest, sweetest woman you'll ever meet. She's, she's in IT, uh, she'd be in her late 20s, just a really lovely person. Uh, she was recently in um, Hamilton Island with, with her cousins, and they stumbled upon Taylor Swift and Tom Hiddleston, who were also there. I then found out that this friend of mine and her cousins got in their car when Tom and Taylor left and chased them down the freeway. I couldn't believe that they did this. See, there's something about celebrities that makes us go strange. Well, this is what happened, is happening to Jesus. Everyone wants to be around him. Everyone wants to see what he's going to do next. He's the most exciting thing that's happened in a lot of the lives of these people. See, do you see the scene? The scene of this interaction. We've got Zacchaeus. Short man. Chief tax collector. He wants to see Jesus. But the crowd isn't letting him in. He looks up ahead and he spots a tree. He thinks, I've got it. Run ahead of the crowd, get up that tree, Jesus will pass by, I'll get to see him. Brilliant. Right, brilliant idea. And so there he is up the tree amongst the branches and he's watching Jesus and this big crowd of people walking along the path and all of a sudden they take a detour and they're heading straight for the tree. And I wonder what's going through Zacchaeus's head. Jesus and his big crowd walk up to the tree and then Jesus stops and he looks up, and there's Zacchaeus. It's kind of a funny story, isn't it? Zacchaeus is looking down. Everyone's w wondering what happens next. And, and what happens? Well, it's astounding. Verse 5. Just have a look at what happens. Verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now, what a strange thing to say. Right, it's generally considered rude to invite yourself over to someone's house. Uh, if I said to you, I will stay at your house today, you might probably say, no, you're not. I'll invite you if I want you to stay at my house. But something else is going on here, you see. See, in the ancient world, in Jesus' day, if you were to eat with someone, it was a way to identify with them. It was more than just a, we a meal. It was a way to say, I'm with you. We are together. It's not just the way to eat. It's an act of fellowship and an act of friendship. The, the closest thing I could think of was, uh, imagine one of those American high school cafeterias uh, where the kind of cool kids all sit together and then the kind of nerdy kids all sit on their own on other tables. For a cool kid to stand up, take, take her tray and go and sit with the nerdy kids, there'd be a hushed silence amongst the cafeteria, wouldn't there? What's she doing? Why is she sitting with them? That's what's going on here. See, we're not meant to feel sorry for Zacchaeus. This is a bad man. He is a sinner. His pockets are lined with the money of his people. And Jesus is publicly associating with him. Jesus is saying, I'm here to be with you. And Zacchaeus knows it. See what he does in verse 6? Just read verse 6 with me. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. 
it's, see, here is Jesus who claims to be from God, speaking on God's behalf. He's coming now to be with Zacchaeus. I mean, I don't know what Zacchaeus was thinking when Jesus arrived at that tree. I suspect he's thinking to himself, this, it's all over. I've been found out. I mean, if this is the Messiah, I am in so much trouble. I am on the wrong side of justice. But Jesus says to him, come down. Come and be with me. I identify with you. See, no wonder he welcomes him joyfully. We have a theological word for this called grace. I'm sure you've heard that word before, grace. It just means favor undeserved. A kindness unmerited, goodness unwarranted, favor that's unearned. It's getting love when you deserve hate. So I think, I think sometimes we think that God is this kind of angry old man, uh, kind of looking down from the sky, perpetually disappointed with what he sees, looking for a reason to be angry, looking for another stuff up. Now don't get me wrong, God gets angry. I mean, he, he hates the awful things that are done, that people do to one another. But you see God's response to this sinner, to this bad man, it's to seek him and find him and to be with him. That's God's response to sinners. He wants to seek them out. He wants to find them and he wants to be with them. Well, the rest of the crowd are flipping furious. Did you notice that? Have a look at verse 7 with me. See what the rest of the crowd do. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. I think they were deeply disappointed. Right? Just really disappointed. They, they would have watched Jesus walk up to that tree and they'd be thinking to themselves, here we go. Here we go. It's time for some justice. We're going to see what happens when you mess with God and his people. Right? Someone, someone bring Jesus an axe. This is going to be awesome. That tree is coming down. Judgment day. Time to pay. You go get him, Jesus. I could just imagine them standing there kind of rubbing their hands together finally God's justice has come what, 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 what did Jesus say to him he's going to his house oh, he must be going to burn that down he's going to stay I think that would have shocked everyone I, I think if you were there in that crowd this would have made you feel the same you would have been a little bit angry right the crowd kind of have a point if Jesus was really from God, he would know the sort of man this guy is. He'd know he was a sinner. He knows he's worthy of smiting. Jesus should be dining with the religious types, right? He should be coming to my place. I'm a pastor. He should be hanging out with the good people. Not this guy. He's the opposite. But see, that crowd that's watching on have made a terrible mistake. Their response to Jesus' kindness is, resent, is resentment because they un, haven't understood who Jesus is and they haven't understood why he's come. They don't understand what he's doing because they don't understand God or God's heart. See, this is why Jesus has come. He's come to seek and save the lost. You know, we've got a, there's, there's a saying that you hear people say that life can change in a single moment have you heard that before life can change in a single moment and of course it's true 
It's true, isn't it? At one moment, a lapsing concentration on the road. Right? One moment, a, a drunk driver swerves to your side of the, of the road. Your life can change forever. Right? You're, you're waiting in a doctor's room to hear the results of a test that you know will change your every day for the rest of your life will be different after that appointment. And it doesn't always need to be bad. I remember a moment that I stood up in front of a, a whole bunch of people in a church and promised to uh, love and care and cherish my wife. Well, she was my wife at the time. It was on our wedding day. And I knew every day for the rest of my life after that moment would be changed by that moment. See, this day Zacchaeus has had one of those moments. He's had one of those moments. A moment that has changed his life forever. Because that's what an encounter with Jesus does. It's transformative. It changes you. You can't remain unaffected by an encounter with Jesus. It does something to you, you see. In fact, look at what it did to Zacchaeus. Remember, Jesus has said, I'm coming to your house. Come down quickly. Let's see what Zacchaeus does. Verse 8. Have a look what he does. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now, this is crazy behavior, isn't it? Crazy behavior. How much does he have left after he gives half of his money away? After he pays back four times whatever he's cheated from people, which I can tell you would have been quite a bit. I, kind of, I wonder if he'd have anything left. And I don't know about you, but I sort of wonder why. Why did you do this, Zacchaeus? I mean, he could have followed Jesus and kept his money, couldn't he? It wasn't a condition. Jesus was still coming over. He didn't say, I'll come over if you give away half of everything you've got. Now, you see, Zacchaeus has, in a moment been changed he's been changed he's experienced the grace of God and an experience of the grace of God has the power to transform someone to change their mind and change their heart money is hard to part with have you noticed that it's hard to part with and the more of it you've got the harder it is to part with rich people don't like giving away money but Zacchaeus has found something that's so much more precious it's so precious that he does away with half of what he spent his life accumulating in a moment just like that he give away half of everything he's ever made and in fact a whole lot more than that too I mean that's an extraordinary change I wonder for those of you who have found Jesus is it any different Right? Haven't you found something that no treasure or pleasure this world can offer can compare to? That those treasures and pleasures are just not quite consuming once you find Jesus. You find something better, something more beautiful, and something happened to you so that you're not the same as you were. A good friend of mine, um, this guy named Dave, and I used, to, uh, I used to work with him at the council. Uh, Dave's not a Christian, but um, uh, about a year ago, he had a little baby girl. Gorgeous little baby. Half Japanese, right? Gorgeous little baby girl. And he sent me, he sent me uh, through a message just to let me know he had this, had this baby. And he, he put a picture of the baby, um, just had a little one born, name yet to be decided, this many pounds, mum and baba going well. 
and he had a picture of her and he just had a little comment at the bottom just two words and the two words under this photo of his newborn baby girl were game over and I thought to myself what do you mean game over you've had a ba- why, why you, what do you mean by game over and I realised what he meant is that his life was basically finished his life was basically over now that he had this baby girl but he wasn't upset about it you see What he meant was that something had entered his life that was so big and so consuming and so incredible that nothing else would matter ever again. There was something in his life so precious that his life as he knew it had changed. It was different. That's the sort of moment Zacchaeus has just had. That's what happens when you meet Jesus. When you experience his kindness, his grace, his forgiveness that's undeserved and unearned. See, something in Zacchaeus' life had changed, and it had all changed. And it was the experience of God's grace. See, look at what Jesus says to him, verses 9 and 10. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. See, salvation had come to Zacchaeus' house. Because Jesus had come to Zacchaeus' house. See, Jesus has saved him. He's identified with him and he's transformed him. Which, by the way, was his whole mission. That's his job. That's what he's on about. He says he's, he's come to seek and to save the lost. I walked out of my office uh, a couple of weeks ago and I was thinking about this passage about Jesus coming to seek and save the lost. And... And, and my office is just opposite the Box Hill Town Hall, which has a, a huge garden out the front. And it was pouring with rain, but there were heaps and heaps of people out there. And I thought, oh, there must be some sort of convention or conference or phaeton or something like that. And as I got closer, I noticed everyone was on their mobile phone. And I found out that that's because the Box Hill Town Hall was a pokey stop. And they were all there to catch Pokemon in the pouring rain. They were seeking, Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. He would have been out there trying to talk to people. See, Zacchaeus' story is of an encounter with Jesus. And isn't this church full of those stories? Right, isn't it? Stories of people who have met with Jesus and been transformed by him. I am sure that it is. And what an exciting thing, if you're part of the church here, the Canterbury Gardens Community Church is part of the faith story for hundreds and hundreds of people that will last into all eternity forever. Isn't that exciting? But it's not about Canterbury Gardens Community Church and it's certainly not about my church. It's about people meeting Jesus. See, Zacchaeus was seeking to see Jesus, but it was actually Jesus who was seeking Zacchaeus. Did you notice that? If Jesus were to visit church this morning, I suspect he'd be looking around for the lost, wouldn't he? And and if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, he would have spotted you from across the room and he'd know. And you'd be sitting there during the service with some guy over on the side grinning at you. And as soon as church finished, he would have made a beeline and he'd probably be bounding over, invite himself over. That's what Jesus would do. He is, remember, the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to seek after the lost one. 
He's the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, who has come to seek and to save those who are lost. So how about you? So everyone here will have a story, a life story, a, a journey with its ups and downs, with its joys and heartaches. I wonder whether Jesus is part of your story yet. Have you found him? Because you can be sure that he is searching for you. He wants to say, come on down. I must stay with you today. I must be with you today. You may not have described yourself as lost. But if you live apart from God, the one who made you and loves you and gives you everything, you can be sure that you are. This is not just a story for Zacchaeus. It's a story for each one of us. For there is one who even now is seeking those who are lost. He wants to be with them. He wants to bring them salvation. He wants to find them and bring them home. He stands at the bottom of the tree. He asks to open the door. His eyes are full of compassion. His heart is full of grace. In his right hand is salvation and in his left is hope. It is his joy to find those who are missing, to seek and save those who are lost. But if you don't mind, I wouldn't mind giving you some application for your church. For those of you who are part of this church here. See, there are plenty of good things that this church could do together. Right? You could start a soccer team. You could do social outings. You could start a Pokemon stop. You could just enjoy one another's company. And all the people I've met here are really lovely. I would enjoy spending time with them. But do not lose sight of those who Jesus has come for. The people out there. The people who are not in here. I don't know if you know um, a guy by the name of Hudson Taylor. He founded the Chinese Inland Mission in 1865. He went to a huge church, church of a thousand people in England. And he tells this story of uh, being there on a Sunday and, and, and uh, worshipping God with all of the other believers. And, and he wrote this. Unable to bear the sight of a congregation of a thousand or more Christian people rejoicing in their own security while millions were perishing for lack of knowledge, I wandered out into the sands alone in great spiritual agony. And there on the beach, he pledged his life to world mission and he pledged his life to China and he gave his life to China. See, I think he was consumed by the one who came to seek and save the lost. And I hope you will be too. We live in a world, a city, perishing without hope. And there is one who comes to bring light and life, who wants to know them. That's why he's come. I hope that vision consumes you too. And me. How about I pray for us? And then I'll invite the musicians to come up. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus hasn't come to kill all the sinners, for we know none of us would, will stand before him. But he has come to seek us, to save us, to love us and forgive us. Not because we deserve to be loved, but because of his own grace and goodness. We pray that you might help us to respond to him.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.